And what happened at that point and the change that I experienced with my body is when I was no longer afraid of weight gain, I let go of so much. Like I let go of so many insecurities that I had. I gained probably 10 kilos over the course of about six months. So I gained back the weight that I lost plus some. I was sitting around 70 kilos when I'd lost the weight um, and, you know, was on this crazy calorie deficit and was dying and lost my period. Um, (laughs) And then I was about 80 kilos about a year later. And what happened when I was at 80 kilos is I realized that I didn't really look that different. Like I felt different and I knew that my clothes were fitting a bit differently and I was like a little bit unsure about it, but I was essentially the same Kate. Like I just, I just, for me was a little bit more conscious of my body. Maybe I was taking up a bit more space and I wasn't, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. So the only real change was me and how I felt about myself. So when I realized that, that no one else cared, it was like, oh, oh, okay. I'm the one making a big deal about this. Oh, okay. And then my performance didn't suffer. So I could feel the benefit of being lighter, but I couldn't really feel anything bad about being heavier. I just felt stronger and I had really good energy and I was recovering and I wasn't an emotional mess and I felt good in training. And I think just having energy, like I would encourage people to eat more and be bigger (laughs) to perform purely in the name of having energy and being able to perform at high intensity and feel good. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones, and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bowe coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. There we go. We're on. Yeah, she's my go lady. She says start and I just... It's like your your intro music is like, recording is on. (laughs) Could you imagine if you put that at the end of your intro music? <laughs> Recording progress. I don't have any intro music on my podcast. I can't stand intro music. So like you start listening to my podcast and it's just straight into me talking. You're like, oh my God, <laughs> just slap in the face with my voice. I, I love the it. Intro. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's Kate. Kate Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking. Like, don't yesterday. waste time here, people. Let's exactly. go. <laughs> we were talking yesterday and I invited her on the podcast and then she writes back. I just booked in for tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> yeah, we're on. <laughs> we're, we're on literally in about 10 hours. I hope that's okay. I felt really bad whenever I send people my calendar, like if they book in, I've had clients do this to me. We're like at 10 PM at night, they've booked in for like a 7am call. I'm like, Hey man. <laughs> My fault for making my calendar available, but also that's a terrible idea. Maybe, maybe don't do that to me. <laughs> no, I was excited. Wednesday is my podcast day. And so awesome. I, I was ready. I'm ready for you. <laughs> I hope everyone's ready. 
Well, I don't really, you know, normally I would send you out like an, uh, you know, a bit of a plan of maybe what we're going to talk about, but I'm, let's just, we're just going to talk. Yeah. I think that's a good way to do it. Yeah. This could be four hours long, (laughs) but it's going to be great. Well, we'll see if our energy can carry us through four hours. Yeah. I don't think I'll make it. I, I'll be hungry and I'll need my yeah, dinner. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like you get hungry or you get thirsty. So that's that'll be a natural end. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was, I was thinking a bit about our conversation today before we jumped on. And I was trying to remember the first time that I saw you. <laughs> and not really in real life, but through the platform, through Instagram. And it was in, okay, I've written it down because it was memorable. It was in June, 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. You made a post and you had clean and you were clean and jerking. I think it was like 102 kilos. And the caption of the post was women need iron not the mineral. The oh blood. yes. Yeah. 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 So this was, well, so I've just competed at Torium pro like two weekends ago. That was Torium pro last year. And I had a ton of people follow me and that was like the woman need iron. It's like a poem. It, it's a piece of art. And, uh, it was a caption that I'd seen many years prior from someone else who shared it as well. And it, it just, it, it hits you deep. It's a really, really cool piece of writing. And it just talks about, you know, the things that iron teaches us and what, you know, what weightlifting can do for women who have been conditioned by society to think that their body's an ornament. And in fact, it's a very fucking productive tool that can do a lot of stuff for us. And the barbell has this magical way of showing us what that is. Um, and I, I actually just had a friend of mine who does some stuff for CrossFit in Australia hit me up saying, Hey, do you mind writing a couple of pieces? We're going to, you know, share some things about the coaches. Um, and, and can you tell us what one of the biggest changes you've experienced is from CrossFit and from weightlifting? And I say CrossFit and weightlifting, because to me, the kind of the two are one, it doesn't have to be CrossFit. It's just that my version of training is CrossFit, but it's weightlifting and cardio and all that jazz. And uh, the thing that for me is really the biggest change, and it, it's a, sometimes it feels shallow or superficial, but it's not. It's that I literally realized that, you know, I went into CrossFit trying to lose weight and I came out of CrossFit going, holy fuck, my body is amazing. It can do all these things. And now I, it feels disrespectful. You know, it feels rude to be like, I just want to look a certain way. It's like, ma'am, your body is so much more than that. Like it is, it's so incredible. And here we are spending all our time valuing, valuing it for the way that it looks, which in a large part is out of our control. It's bizarre that we get so hung up on it when it's like, even if you were to lose weight or get abs, it's like, you're making micro changes to the way that you look for the most part, you know, you're genetically given what you got and that's your vessel for life. And weightlifting is a a cool way to demonstrate what your body is really capable of. And you can make some quite vast changes. Um, The way that you look, your appearance, your aesthetics, you can make minor changes that often come with a really big fucking headache. Um, But yeah, that, that woman need iron piece is really cool. I had a a couple of people translate that, like people tagging me in like the French version and then like the Spanish version. It was just wild. It was cool. (laughs) It's magic. It's a magic piece. Uh, And I would love to start 
with your story around like finding the barbell and finding iron and finding this performing body and this functioning body and falling in love with with that um and you can pick a place where you want to start in your story. Uh, you just said before that before you you went into CrossFit to change your body. So do we do you want to start there? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was when I when I found CrossFit, I was already training at another gym, and then I was working at another gym. It was like a tennis center that had a gym, um, and this was in New Zealand. I was back in New Zealand on like a six month hiatus from traveling and university and stuff like that. And uh, I, I bought a, uh, a Groupon. Do you remember Groupons? It was like this voucher. It was like 30 days of CrossFit for like $30 or something. It was like unlimited. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll try this. And I'd seen it on Tumblr. I'd seen like, I, and I remember having this thought specifically, I think I'd seen like Camille leblanc Bazinet or Annie Thora's daughter. And I remember thinking like, oh man, like that their bodies are incredible, a little bit too jacked for me, but their bodies are incredible. And I remember distinctly having that thought of like, they're a little bit too, you know, muscly for me, but like, wow. And uh, so I went, wanted to go and try this CrossFit thing. And I went in once during the month and went back in to be, to do a session and, and to tell them like, you know, I'm not going to continue. And uh, the owner of the gym was this incredible woman could holler. And <laughs> she won first, like, you know, I was so impressed that I could go into a gym twice and they knew my name and knew who I was and kind of knew my story. And I'd spent my, I'd spent a massive amount of my life in this other gym that I was a member of because my parents were friends with the owners. And it was, it's a big chain in New Zealand, the big gym. You might be familiar with Les Mills. So we were friends with the Millses. And uh, so I knew like, I knew like the core of the gym, but you know, I'd been going there. I'd, some of my earliest memories are at the creche in that gym. And I'd been going there and doing the classes and no one knew who the fuck I was. And it was like, man, you know, I'm not walking in here entitled, expecting people to know me. I'm walking in here every single day thinking that I would become a familiar face eventually. Like, I'm just, I feel like I'm part of the furniture, but no one knows who I am. And, and if they say hello, it's just to acknowledge me. And it's not because they have any idea who I am. So going into a CrossFit gym was this d stark, different um, experience. And anyway, she was like, look, I'll give you a student discount for six months. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm in total, like uh, just sucker of like, oh, okay. Yes. I, I don't want to say no. I, I'm too scared to say no. So I'll say yes. <laughs> and about three months of like crossfitting and building up from once a week to twice a week to three times a week to then four times a week. And then I wanted to be going every single day. I didn't want to miss a session. It took about three months. And uh, it, it also takes about three months just to get your head around what the movements are and, and what a snatch is and, and what, a, which one is the clean and jerk? Is it the one to your shoulders or is it one over your head? And, and like kind of figuring out how to hang from a pull-up bar without my hands tearing off. So it took about three months to get to that point. And then uh, I was in Australia on a vacation in the Gold Coast and I dropped into an affiliate and it was the first time I'd been to an affiliate that wasn't my own gym. And at that point, you know, I'd established pretty good connections within my gym and I'd been going every day and everybody knew my name. So when I dropped into another gym, I was a little bit intimidated and scared and unsure of what would happen. And this gym now I've been going to for the past 10 years 
And I, every time I'm in the Gold Coast, I drop in and I know the owner and I know some of the members still. And it's like, I realized that I had this key to access community and relationships and friends and, and, you know, potential basically members of my family all around the world, because I was doing this thing called CrossFit and CrossFit somehow had magically created these little, these little hubs of people that were there to do the same thing and, and wanted to connect and wanted to just get really fit and do it with other people. Um, so that was kind of my, my falling in love with CrossFit journey. Um, and then with the, the lifting and the barbell stuff, I think it naturally came because I got really excited about CrossFit and a lot of people were like, man, you should compete. Like, do you want to do more? Do you want to compete? You're really strong. You're good at this. I was, I was a pretty active kid as when I, like just growing up and I didn't do a ton of team sports or just sports in general, but my family were pretty active and we would be, you know, behind the boat during the summer, wakeboarding and skiing and would be up on the mountain during winter. And it was like, that was just kind of part of our lifestyle. So I was pretty active. I was a dancer. So I was coordinated. I picked up things quickly. Um, and I, I, I just had natural upper body strength. I've always had pretty broad shoulders, which prior to CrossFit, I fucking hated. And now I'm like, I'm, I still am not totally, if I'm outside of CrossFit, I'm a little bit like, ah, people are looking at me weird, but most of the time I'm okay with big shoulders now. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of like this evolution of, I, I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the CrossFit thing. I, I started to see progress and results and wanted to compete and people were encouraging me. And then, and then it snowballed. It just totally snowballed. I started coaching um, and that began as me just on the front desk doing free work where I was just taking care of memberships and being like an admin bitch. And then I started shadowing the coaches and then I started coaching and I had my L1 and then I eventually got my level two. Um, and and it, I just, it just took over. It just, I just let it take over and it did. And I just didn't say no to an opportunity. I, I jumped on anything that I could do in any, any way that I could help out. I basically lived in the gym. Um, I was training and if I wasn't training, I was working. And if I wasn't working, I was probably doing something else in the gym. <laughs> I was probably hanging out with people from the gym. So yeah, it just, it became my social life. It became something that was a passion for me. It became my work. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my progression and, and it's, it's just never stopped. Now I've gone from coaching in person to coaching online. I do nutrition coaching as well now. Um, and yeah, it's just been this really enjoyable thing where I think the community has been probably the, the flame for, my the passion it's it's a people thing um and and then the the byproduct of this is that I have a really strong healthy body that I'm gonna be pretty stoked about when I'm 80 years old and I can live independently and wipe my own butt when I get off the toilet you know it's like that's the long-term part of it where a lot of people sometimes get lost and forget the why and it's like, well, you know what? You want to be playing with your kids. You want to be playing with your grandkids. You want to be that grandparent or that old person that you're like, man, that person's a badass. Um, and, and weightlifting is kind of a ticket to get there. Yeah. You want your body. Um, you want to be in a body that can carry you through life on your own terms. Yeah, absolutely. On your own terms. It's like everyone can get to a pretty, like, you know, everyone's probably going to get old and, and get to 80, 90, hundred maybe, but uh, in what condition? right? Like, is it on your terms or is it on your, whatever your lifestyle when you were younger terms? Cause uh, I know a lot of people who party and drink and don't lift. And it's like, they already look frail. I'm like, Oh man, you're screwed in 30 years. Like I wake up and I'm a bit stiff and sore and a bit like out of shape, but I, I lift and I train and I eat well. And I'm like, imagine if I didn't do those things. <laughs> 
can't. I, I can't imagine like, you know, just I guess it's been so um, ingrained in who I am and what I do for so long that, yeah, it's just I was actually having a conversation with a, a guy at the gym the other day. He was doing uh, Nordic curls on the mm. GHD and I was like, it's a very humbling movement, isn't it? When I see someone do something super cool in like a commercial Globo gym, you know, I, I, I love seeing it. Anyway, we had this conversation and he said he was in his 50s and he said he, you know, for the past 20 years, he's looked at his friends and his mates and just seen just seen how like their body is, you know, they, their body is basically leading them. They're not like leading mm. themselves uh, and they're like just breaking down. Yeah. They're yeah. decomposing. They're breaking down. And he said, you know, my mission with my training is basically to like carry myself through life on my own terms, just to have this strong, capable body. Uh, and he just That's swore. Cool. I want to be that guy. Yeah. I want to be that guy doing Nordic curls fucking in a global gym when I'm 50. Like, <laughs> That's the kind of badass that exists. And I think people think that, you know, you get old and so you should back off and dial back the intensity and not do certain things. But it's like, no, no, no. That's why people get old. It's like, it's that phrase. And I, I always just exchange whatever it is. I think it's just exercise. I, I exchange the word for CrossFit, but you don't stop CrossFit because you get old. You get old because you stop CrossFit. And uh, yeah, that terrifies me. <laughs> Yeah. So how long, uh, how long have you been doing it? When did you find it? When did it I start? found CrossFit when I was 21. So I started in 2011. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, here we are 2022. So yeah. Years. Oh, so cool. I'd love for you to speak about uh, the, how it changed your relationship to your body, you know, before going into CrossFit, uh, what was your relationship to your body like? Was it, was it always like positive? Did you, did you appreciate the functionality of it? Or were, did you come from a very similar background to a lot of women that wanted to constantly change their weight, shape or size? And I'd love for you to speak over the last 11 years um, on that, the, yeah, the change in the relationship with your body. I was someone that was never not confident. Like I always had a sense of like self-confidence and who I was as a person and, and the things that I was capable of doing, but I had some very deep insecurities about my body. And I think a lot of that came from, uh, I don't even think it was necessarily from me having internal insecurities. I think it was almost like they get placed on you by the magazines and the movies and the people that you look up to or admire or celebrities and people that you see in the media. And then the kind of subliminal messaging around like, you know, you see magazine covers and I always had an issue with this magazine covers that would be like how to lose 10 kilos or five kilos or five pounds, whatever it is in two weeks. And it was always like, well, how do you know that I, do I need that? Like, why is there that message? If I don't even need it, it, it's saying, this is what you need. You have a problem and here's the solution. So it's kind of advertising a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. So I go about finding that problem. So I think I kind of had this sense of, I was meant to try to lose weight. And I remember being 14 and doing my first diet and the diet consisted of eating one day and not eating the next, which I don't even know where I came up with that. It was just like this made up thing. And I remember being like, 
out at restaurants to, with dinner with my family and like not ordering food, like just bizarre things that, and then the next day, of course, I would overeat because I'd be like, okay, well, I'll eat today. And I don't know how long that ever lasted. Like, I just remember doing it. I don't know if it was a week or a few days or if it was a month, it wasn't an extended period of time to the point where people were like really concerned about me. Um, but I would just have this idea of like, oh, I need to diet. Like, I just, I need to lose weight. I need to be smaller. And I think during puberty, like gaining weight quite quickly at that age and, and just your size being different. Um, like I remember having like big boobs and then I remember going on the pill when I was 15 and like my body changing because of that. And there were just a, like a lot of rapid changes that I was not like prepared for. <laughs> like I was not, I knew what puberty was and I understood that there were changes, but it was like, you are not prepared for that. You were just not ready, not as a woman, not in, not in modern society. So uh, <laughs> I remember just being like, I'm huge. What's happened? Like, and in gymnastics, I remember weighing myself when I first started and I would have been like, I probably would have been about 50 kilos, but I would have also been like 12 years old. And then I remember weighing myself a couple of years later or when I finished. And I remember thinking like, I think I was at like 60 or 65 kilos and being like, oh, that's not meant to happen. Like, oh no, I've gained weight. And it, it, you know, when I talk about it now and I'm talking about this little kid who's growing and just gaining height, you know, like just height is going to be, be a change on the scale. Like, you know, it means nothing about my weight or my health. But um, I just remember that being like a really bad thing and that being on my brain and being like, oh, no, I need to lose the weight I've gained. Gaining weight is an inher inherently negative negative thing in a negative experience. Um, and it was just like it was like this it was a preset in my brain from somewhere. So that was kind of the, the stance that I had on my body. It was like, I just knew from, from wherever the message came from that I needed to lose weight and I needed to try and do that and diet. And, and that was, that was my focus with my body. That was what you're meant to do. So I just kind of became a little bit obsessed with food and it essentially caused me to binge eat because I would restrict, wouldn't be able to con continue restricting. And I would binge at some point and then would, along with that came guilt and shame and all this like hiding about this thing that I was doing. Um, and it was just this cycle that went on for a long, long time. When I started CrossFit, things shifted because I actually did lose weight. Funnily enough, I leaned up a lot. I, I lost a lot of that kind of baby weight. You know, I was 21 when I started weightlifting, which is, I, I'm very fortunate that that was when I started. It was a great time for me to start. I still hate people who started earlier than me. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody has this like, like in an envy for anyone who started anything younger than you. And I'm like, damn you. But anyway, I started at 21, which was good. I lost weight. I became leaner. I was feeling really good in my body and I became really confident with guys. And that was the first time that I had had that experience. And funnily enough, coincidentally, I'd gone off the pill around that age. And so I kind of suddenly had the sex drive and I've only connected the dots with that in recent years. Um, I thought that I just gained this new sense of confidence in my body from training, but I think simultaneously I had hormones that were doing what hormones are meant to do. And it was like, oh, I'm actually interested in the opposite sex and I'm interested in sex and I'm attracted to people and this is fun and I feel excited by this stuff. So like I, yeah, I, I just kind of had this funny little shift early on, but my eating habits hadn't changed. So I was still trying to diet and I started doing things like paleo and I started cutting out certain things and I started creating kind of new rules that were all like taken from different diets that I'd done. So it was like, uh, you know, only eat foods that are really high in fat. Don't eat 
carbohydrates or processed foods. Um, definitely don't eat sugar. Absolutely not. Meanwhile, you know, it's like there's sugar in virtually any carbohydrate that you eat. So it's impossible to avoid. And it's like, I was living off nuts and dried fruit anyway. So it was like, man, <laughs> I was paleo, but I don't know if you want to get everybody <laughs> onto that diet. So I'd kind of gone through this thing where I was trying and experimenting and, and testing out these different diets. Eventually I found my way to macros and, um, the zone diet. So I'd experimented with the zone diet. The issue with the zone diet is that it's a weight loss diet and it was designed for people that were very obese. So for your typical CrossFitter, if you're already fairly lean, you, you lift a lot, you train a lot, the zone diet, it can be adjusted to fit an athlete, but you need to be eating a lot more than it prescribes. So you have to increase your food exponentially to match whatever your activity output is. So it's actually a little bit hard to figure out. So it would typically put you on way too low calories. So I kind of had that experience, but then I found my way to macros and I, I struck a really nice balance with regards to, I found a nice number to eat. I felt really good with training. I felt like I looked really good. I was still concerned with that. Like I was still very much like training was one thing and how I looked was a whole nother thing. And so I could feel really good in training and be doing all these amazing things, but I'd still be hung up on like the way that I looked. And I, I, I didn't feel comfortable wearing a sports bra. I really wanted to get to that point. That was always like, I just wanted to feel good training with shorts and a sports bra. Um, so I kind of ended up finding macros and I actually got to a really good place. Then I employed the help of a coach. And this was when I was starting to get quite competitive. I'd competed at the games on the team and I was trying to compete individually. The problem with the coach was they put me on calories. And I think what happened was I actually went on a holiday. I went on a vacation. And so I'd been really consistent with these calories. I'd, I'd lost weight because I think having a coach made me really, really accountable and just, just really cut out any extras that I was doing on my own. Um, so I actually just lost weight by purely being much more consistent with my macros. And then on this holiday, I gained weight, which I was kind of okay with. I kind of knew that was going to happen. I didn't even go to this coach looking for weight loss. I wanted to be lean, but I wanted to compete. So supporting training was really the priority. But I think, you know, a lot of nutrition coaches here, I want to perform well and I want to lean out and they go, oh, they just want to lose weight. Okay, cool. So that he kind of had me on this weight loss program. Um, and when I got back from the holiday to counter the weight gain from eating more food, he pulled down the calorie prescription that I had, which was then even lower than what I was normally eating. So, you know, the way that I see a holiday is you eat your normal intake, you go on holiday, you typically increase your intake. And when you come back from holiday and you go back to your normal intake, you're technically going back into a deficit. So you will just lose the weight that you've gained just naturally by just eating what you normally eat, which will be less than what you probably eat on holiday, or at least in my case, it's always less. I'm pretty good at eating. So on holiday, I do it a lot. <laughs> And what happened was he then put me on a greater calorie deficit. So I went from like 2000 calories to 1700 calories. And I was like, I was training twice a day and I was dying and I was super emotional. I was like, just struggling. Yeah. Super tired. And just like, man, I don't know what's going on. I was just on this really emotional roller coaster with training. I'd have a really good day. And then I have a really bad day and I couldn't hit the lifts that I wanted to hit, but I was starting to feel more confident with my shirt off. So I was like, okay, well, I'm fucking lean. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this, I think this is what I meant to do. But I, I started pushing back on the calories. Cause I was like 1700 is stupid low. Like I know that's not right. Um, and so he gave me 1900 calories on my training days and 1700 calories on rest days. Um, which I just look back and I'm like, ah, oh, if I could punch this guy in the face, I would. 
<laughs> so I was eating, struggling. Let me tell you, struggling. I was not hitting these calories because it was so low. I was really tired. I was exhausted. My training was going to crap. I was emotional. I, I was just a mess and I was trying to hit these calories and I could not hit them. So after this holiday and coming back and trying to hit low calories, I just started going on this big binge cycle where I would try to hit the calories. I could do it for maybe four or five days. Come the weekend, I'd binge. Then I'd start again on Monday. And then come the weekend, I'd binge. And I just got into this really, really unhealthy loop. Then I lost my period. So then <laughs> where things started to really wake me up was I skipped my period. And that was actually on this holiday that I was on. And I didn't get it for two more months. So I missed my period for three months, which is technically you actually having lost your period, like medically. So that was the point that I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't right. And I didn't share it with my coach. It wasn't something that he, he had ever brought up. He was a male coach. Um, it was never a topic that was raised by him. I felt awkward raising it myself. So I kind of went out on my own and started to look at what I needed to do and what I needed to change. And I reached out to another nutrition coach and they were basically talking to me about how much I need to eat way more food. And I was terrified. <laughs> so I, I just knew something was wrong. Though I knew that losing my period was, was a major, like um, just a red flag. So I ended up finding a new trainer or a new coach, I should say, that was prescribing me much, much higher macros. And they wanted me to go straight to 2,500 calories. And I was, I, I couldn't do it at that time. I just wasn't, I wasn't ready to do that. And I'm super empathetic to people now as well that are in that same position, because I remember being just mortified of eating more food and gaining weight. Cause I was lean. I was shredded. I had like this fucking, I had like an eight pack I was feeling really good taking photos in the mirror. I was like taking photos and posting it on social media. And it was like, I'm going to lose that. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be back to where I was and all this work. It's just going to, and it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I guess, bridge the gap between the work that I'd done that had led me to this unhealthy state and the work that I needed to do to get back to a healthy state. And I, I couldn't kind of reconcile those two things because it felt like, it felt like one was undoing the other in a negative way. So the weight gain was a negative consequence of, of becoming healthy. And when I got to the point where I was okay with gaining some weight to be healthy in the name of getting my period back in the name of fucking helping my hormones and helping my central nervous system, like just fucking get back to homeostasis. So it, it became an okay thing, but I had to accept the weight gain. And what happened at that point and the change that I experienced with my body is when I was no longer afraid of weight gain, I let go of so much. Like I let go of so many insecurities that I had. And I had this experience where like, kind of like I said earlier, when you lose weight, it's minuscule. And we often notice it. We can see it in the mirror. If I lose five kilos, like I can see it, but it's, it's pretty minor. I, I might lose like a, a centimeter or two at my waist, Maybe my, maybe my chest is smaller and my butt's a little bit smaller, but it's like the shape of my body and my body hasn't really changed that significantly, not to the external world, just to, just in my eyes. And it's the same thing with weight gain. I gained probably 10 kilos over the course of about six months. So I gained back the weight that I lost plus some, I was sitting around 70 kilos when I'd lost the weight. Um, and you know, was on this crazy calorie deficit and was dying and lost my period. Um, <laughs> and then I was about 80 kilos about a year later and what happened when I was at 80 kilos is I realized that I didn't really look that different. Like I felt different and I knew that my clothes were fitting a bit differently and I was like a little bit unsure about it, but I was essentially the same Kate. Like I just, I just, for me was a little bit 
more conscious of my body. Maybe I was taking up a bit more space and I wasn't, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. So the only real change was me and how I felt about myself. So when I realized that, that no one else cared, it was like, oh, oh, okay. I'm the one making a big deal about this. Oh, okay. And then my performance didn't suffer. So I could feel the benefit of being lighter, but I couldn't really feel anything bad about being heavier. I just felt stronger and I had really good energy and I was recovering and I wasn't an emotional mess and I felt good in training. And I think just having energy, like I would encourage people to eat more and be bigger (laughs) to perform purely in the name of having energy and being able to perform at high intensity and feel good and be fucking a happy person. Like when you're not eating and you are in a deficit, you're, you don't have enough energy to get by because you're, you're deliberately trying to essentially put yourself into a a small version of starvation to lose weight, which is what losing weight is. It's like you, you, you lose energy. So that will express itself in ways that, you know, aren't that fun. And when you are eating enough energy and even a surplus of energy, you have more energy and you feel really good. And my, I just felt like I was on fire and I was happy again and I was sleeping and I was recovering and I wasn't, I wasn't fucking getting upset at the smallest thing anymore. That was something that now when I look back, I just thought that I was um, highly reactive in training. And now I'm like, oh no, I was just hungry. (laughs) Oh God. I was just really hungry. Okay. Right. Hunger emotions very closely tied for me. Cool. So it's like, you know, I would trade off being small and feeling good for like fucking pull-ups for being a little bit bigger and feeling stronger and gaining muscle and having way better energy and having a much better experience the gym any day of the week. Like I would make that trade off in a heartbeat. Um, because when I went through that and I realized that being 80 kilos versus 70 kilos, there wasn't that much of a difference except for that. I felt way better at 80 kilos. It was like, yeah, I I just had this experience of gaining weight is okay. In fact, gaining weight can be beneficial. I feel so much better. No one is judging me for it. My body is just a fucking vessel and it performs better when I'm actually bigger. So, Hey, like this, it was like, I had the facts in front of me and I had the evidence. I think a lot of us that are thinking about eating more food or having to make changes or are afraid of weight gain are basing that fear off some theory of what will happen. And until you have the evidence in front of you and you can actually assess like what's really happened and where you're really at, it's all just projecting out your fears. It's all just projecting out the worst case scenario of what might happen if you gain weight. Like, oh my God, no one's going to love you and I'm not going to be attractive. No one's going to think I'm sexy. It's like, that's all bullshit. It's just fears that exist in your head and you're letting that control you and you're letting that change the way that you live your life and potentially um, be the barrier to being happy and being functional and and getting the benefits from training that you could be getting. So that's a, that's the very long extended version of the relationship that I have with food, the relationship that I have with my body and the kind of the roundabout way that I got to where I am. Um, and I find that talking about it on social media has been this really interesting experience because it's helped me accept it and it's helped me deal with it and it's helped me work through a lot of that stuff. So um, as soon as I started sharing more and more and more, I realized that it was actually not just beneficial for other people, it was really beneficial for me. So people are like, oh, wow, your social media, you're like, you're so open. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is for my benefit, not yours, buddy. Like, (laughs) this is all me. (laughs) Yeah. This is my story. Yeah. 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 I'm like, you don't even need to be here. I just need to talk this out. Like you don't even, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's, um, 
it's one of the biggest battles I've seen women go into is this, the friction that we feel between the aesthetic body and the performing body. It's, it's, it's a hard battle. It's a hard battle to, um, you know, to lean into our performing body, our functioning body. And so many of us have just been obsessed with the objectified body and the aesthetic body. And, and we can get there, you know, like you said, Kate, in your story, we can do it. You can do it. You can get there, but like, you can't hold it for, you know, or if you're holding it, it's at the detriment to the performing body, the functioning body. And then it just, you know, it breaks down. There's so many hormonal issues and emotional issues and it affects every area of your life. Um, And, yeah, it's one of the hardest, I think, relationships to, to really work on is this, you know, this performing body versus this aesthetic and objectified body. Mm. Uh, and look, you know, I think, and I say to my women all the time, you know, you, you deserve to be in a body that you feel great in, you know, if you want to look good naked, that's, that's great. Uh, but, you know, don't let the culture tell you what that looks like. You, you decide it's your body and, you know, is it really worth it if it's at the detriment to your functioning body, your performing body? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's impossible to, it would be ignorant to say you don't need to look a certain way because we've spent so much of our life thinking that we do and, you know, being like, well, I'm just going to be healthy. I'm just going to focus on that. It's like we, we still can't totally get rid of the desire to look a certain way. And I think that that is part of our primal brain as well, because we want to be physically attractive to a partner and, and it's, it's a survival mechanism. It's not just a modern day problem. It's a, it's something that comes from like, you know, our ancestors, it's like cavemen in the past were like, well, I know I can get a mate if I look a certain way and I'm attracted to someone. So it's like, it's protective in that way. So I think it's unrealistic to talk to people and be like, well, you can't have aesthetic goals. Like that was just, it's unhealthy and screw you. And you should just say fuck diets and fuck the diet industry. And, and, you know, like that anti-diet culture message, it's like, okay, there's a spectrum and, you know, you can be at one end, which is a weight loss at all costs. And you can be at the other end, which is I don't care how much you weigh. I don't care how unhealthy you are. I don't care. It's you don't worry about your weight. It's like, well, there's a middle ground. And I remember finding this really cool Venn diagram that had the three circles. One of them was aesthetics. One of them was performance. And one of, one of them was health. And so there's this intersection of those three things. And that is the sweet spot where all three exist. It's okay to want to have some kind of aesthetic goal. And I am not going to deny that that does not give you some sense of confidence and an ability or a, I guess, a, a mechanism for you to begin to accept yourself and love yourself. It is hard to love yourself when you don't look like the people that we see in the media. It is a much bigger leap for people to take who are overweight, who are underweight in some cases, who are constantly being assessed on how they look and constantly assessing themselves to suddenly go, oh no, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm just going to accept my body. It's totally fine. It's like, no, that's a really hard thing to do. So I can understand the drive and the desire to look a certain way, but we also understand the benefits of performance and the benefits of health. So if we can get all three without compromising or going too far to the end of the spectrum of either of those three things, that means that we can kind of find that little sweet spot in the middle where we get a little bit of all of those things. Weight loss is not inherently bad. Weight gain is also not inherently bad. Performance and only focusing on performance is not inherently good. 
same thing with health. You know, it's like there's no good or bad that exists with any of those things. It's what needs to work for you to be the happiest, healthiest version of yourself. And for some people, it's I'm going to focus on performance. But I also do know that my the side effect of this is having a body that I'm really happy with. So, you know, that's that might be part of my motivation to focus on health and performance, because typically speaking, the byproduct is that you you it, it produces a body that looks a certain way. So yeah. I like to steer people towards that mindset. I think the mindset is easier and, and it's more sustainable. And it's a, it's a, um, it comes from a, I guess, a mindset of abundance rather than scarcity. But I, I understand that aesthetics is part of it. It, yeah. it just is. And when we can kind of wrestle with that and come to terms with what it is that we really want and why we want it, um, it it's okay. You know, we were on a phone call yesterday with John, who we, we both are mentored by, and he was talking about the shallow goals of just wanting to look fucking awesome when he's old. And I am totally on board with those goals. Yeah. I am so there for it, man. I get it. It's like, Sometimes people come to me and, and like the experience I had with my past nutrition coach, he heard me say, I want to perform well and I want to lean out. And he just was like, oh, she just wants to lean out. And I sometimes I do that with my people because I understand a lot of people come to me saying, well, I, I want to perform better and I need to be smaller to do that. And I, I know from firsthand experience. No, like you actually don't need to be smaller to perform better. It probably comes at a cost. That means you're not going to get stronger. You're not going to recover as well. And there's no real reason that you have to be smaller because sure, you might be better at some gymnastics movements, but it might cost you a lot in weightlifting or in other areas of CrossFit that we, we need size for. So yeah, it's okay to have shallow goals and it's okay to come in and be like, I just want to look like a sexual human being when I have no clothes on. It's like, that's totally cool. But um, when you talk to me, I'm not going to allow you to do that at the expense of your performance or at the expense of your uh, health. And so then we can have a conversation that's more productive. I think a lot of people can come into it and it's like, man, not only are you like shame, feeling shame for like wanting to eat more food and wanting to be healthy and, 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 you know, trying to, trying to uh, turn down this message of you've got to be skinny you've got to certain look a certain way but then you're also shamed if you do want that it's like we just can't fucking yeah. win so it's like let's just try our best to just remove any of the judgment be really honest and understand why we want something and understand how to get there in a way that benefits us on the whole rather than just benefits our aesthetic yeah so powerfully said kate ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the visual that you gave people to imagine those circles mm. and them coming together and there is an overlap. I think that's a really cool visual for people to hold into their mind, uh, for women to hold mm. into their mind of there's like three parts to it. There's your three circles and the, you know, the, the goal in it is to find a way that works with your body that will allow your three circles to thrive, I think, or for you to have, you know, bits of those three circles. So I, thanks for yeah. sharing that. I think that will be a yeah. really powerful vision. One of my favorite them. Venn diagrams. In fact, it's one of the only Venn diagrams I know. <laughs> so I guess it has to be the favorite. <laughs> what? You don't I know sound anymore? really smart because I'm like, well, just imagine this Venn diagram, but it's the only Venn diagram I've ever looked at in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's probably the only one we really need to look at in our life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Another part of your story that I'd love for you to share and just speak about is when you injured your back. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And 
you, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about it before, like the mindset around it and, and, you know, the fear that we can have around injury and stepping back into a gym and back up to a bar. And could you just tell uh, your, your story about the back and, you know, how you moved through that experience? Yeah, it's funny. I think, you know, injury is part of the game. Like injury is just part of being human. It doesn't really matter what sport you're doing. You could train in a globo gym and just walk on a treadmill. And at some point you'll probably get an injury. I've literally put my neck out from sleeping wrong. Like, you know, it's like, you're going to, you're going to go through life and we're not in this 100% ready state, but we're just not. And when you get, when you accept that and you work around it, your training will become so much more productive. That was a huge leap for me with my training, but uh, my injury was, I have, my dad has a lot of back issues. He's had a fusion. He's had just ongoing pain for majority of his life as long as I've known him. Um, so he's had multiple surgeries and all this, all this shit. I've got some similar issues, um, but there are also issues that a huge percentage of the population are dealing with, and we just don't know about it. It's just not diagnosed. So I think, you know, one of the interesting things about injury that I've experienced, especially because I've had injuries and I've also coached a lot of people with injuries is we like to think that we are special. Um, and it's not like, it's not, I'm not saying that in a condescending or patronizing way, like, Oh, if you just think you're special, it's just that we attach uh, meaning to ideas and labels and we make them our part, a part of our identity very quickly. So if there's something unique or something difficult or something that is a potential barrier, we use that because we need to protect ourselves. And, and it's, we kind of, again, go back to like, it, it's a, it's a protective mechanism where it's like, if I know I'm X, then I'm going to behave like Y, because that will mean that I can ensure my survival. So I put my back out in 2015 and I'd been through, I'd competed at the games that year. A month later, we'd competed at this in-gym competition, which for whatever reason, we had four people. And the only way for us to get through all of the events was to do it on one night. So we did one night of like three or four workouts and a whole lot of lifting. I had also been traveling a lot. So I'd been in the US for the CrossFit Games and I'd been traveling to Asia most weekends for seminars with CrossFit. So I'd been sitting on airplanes a lot and not doing anything about it, just training as normal. And I was squatting one day and uh, I was at probably like 60 or 70% of my wonder at max. It was, it was just, you know, warm up sets. I wasn't close to, you know, exerting an extreme amount of effort. And I stood up out of a squat and I just, it just felt like kind of the same thing I have with my neck right now. Like I can't like move very well. I'm not very fluid. And it kind of was the same thing, but just in my lower back, there was no specific pain. It just felt like inflammation and it was restricted. It restricted my movement. So one of the tests that they say when you've done something to your back with regards to knowing if it's a disc thing is can you um, flex, can you rotate and can you uh, extend? I think so I could, the only thing I could still do was twist. So I could rotate, but I couldn't bend forward and I couldn't extend back. Um, And I didn't want to pick anything up. You know, I was like, oh, fuck, I've done something. I don't want to pick anything up. It it didn't feel crazy severe. And so I didn't go and get any scans or anything. Like I'd seen my physio that day. He'd done some deep tissue work and I just kind of went about, went on my way. I progressively built back up to some heavy weights over the next four to six weeks. My physio every time was always like six weeks and then back to normal training um, every time. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's, it's like such a useless message. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I did six weeks and then kind of built back up to weights. And then I did it again. 
So then I, I did something, I don't know what the movement was. I think I was doing like hip thrusts or glute bridges or something with weight. And it wasn't a movement I typically do, but anytime, like I was, I was quite an overextended person. Anyway, I was a dancer in a past mm-hmm. life and my pelvis is tilted forward and I sit up and my pop everything out. It's terrible. Me too. So, yeah. Yeah. I just walk around like hyperextended. So uh, I was asking for it and I was doing, yeah, I was doing these glute bridges and I just like felt my back jam up again. And I was like, oh, this is the same thing. So I went back to the physio. He's like, okay, six weeks and then get back into training. And then I did it again. And at that point I was like, this is bullshit. And I went and got an MRI and it came back saying like, I have just degeneration of the disc. I had a couple of uh, joints, like my L4 or S1. It was like a few of them down in my lumbar. Um, and then I had uh, degeneration of the facet joints, which was the backside of the joint, which is typically from overextension and on the front side of the joint. So from rounding out or flexion. So I had essentially a spine that was aging, which we all fucking do. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. what happened was, um, and, and one of the other interesting things about MRIs, and I've read a bit of um, just literature or uh, just people writing about um, the issue with diagnosing back problems is if you look at one scan, it tells you nothing about the prior state of the back. So prior to, you know, September 2015, when I put my back out or it was around that month, I could have had a scan and my back probably looked quite similar. You know, I just from sitting down and doing the movements and weightlifting and and just going about being a human, it's like my back probably didn't look that different. And when I had the scan in January, it could have been relative to a prior scan, something that didn't point to anything being that different. It could, it could have just been inflammation. It could have been just some jamming up with the spine or like I had a bulged disc that wasn't hitting the nerve, but it could have been getting close to it or something like that. So, you know, those things could have actually existed prior. It's just that I got the scan and suddenly there was an image of it. And so I could say, okay, well now I have this when it happened, I don't know, but at this point in time, I have this, so this must be it. So we kind of have this association with like, okay, well, I have an image, so that must be the cause of the pain and that's the problem. And, and that's when I fix that, then I'm, 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 I'm fixed. And with backs, it's like, you can't undo aging. Like you can't undo that stuff. So it's like, you, you kind of got nowhere to go. So if you're talking to the wrong doctor, you're like, well, you can't CrossFit ever again. And you probably actually should only ever walk and don't run. Definitely don't run. And like, don't carry anything heavy. It's like, I'm like at the time, 20, 25, 26, it's like, you know, I, I have a whole life ahead of me. I, there's no way that I'm not going to do those things. I'd had an ACL reconstruction when I was in my late teens. So I knew that I could train myself back to health and back to strength in spite of some kind of an injury or some kind of limitation. And I kind of just inherently believed that about my back. And I think what CrossFit had taught me from working seminars is I understood the concept that functional movements not only trained people to build functional capacity, but trained people with limited capacity, either because they're sedentary or they are restricted physically or they have an injury. It is rehabilitation for them. Functional movement can act as rehabilitation. To regain functionality, we simply do functional movement. You don't Mm -hmm. necessarily need anything fancy or sexy or special. You just need to, with, you know, with being smart, the functional movements that will get your body functioning again. Like it's, it's so simple when you understand it, but it's like, that's what functional movements do for us. So I realized that I needed to get back to being strong with my back. 
the thing that was the flick for me was one, I started to see a Cairo and I'd always been a little bit unsure of Cairo's, but when I started to get adjusted, it really did a lot for me with regards to my spine and my hips. And I still, to this day, get adjustments for my spine and my hips. I don't find that it does anything else for me. Like I've had work done on my elbows and shoulders. It doesn't really do anything for those joints, but my spine and my hips, I tend to find that adjustments work really well for me. And then on top of that, what I started doing is I started viewing it from, I can't just rest I actually need to change the position that's causing the issue. And then I need to regain strength in a way that wasn't there before. So my gymnastics, any overextension, I had to get rid of. I retaught myself how to kip. I retaught myself how to set up for a deadlift. I retaught myself how to initiate a squat to ensure that at no point my pelvis came out of neutral. And so that was just a lot of slow movement at pretty lightweight for a few weeks. And then I also knew that, okay, my spine's the issue. So how do I keep my spine stabilized? Well, I need to retrain my core and my core can incorporate my abdominals. My core can incorporate my glutes and my hip flexors. And so what I did is I started doing a lot of single leg work. So I started doing a lot of pistols, a lot of single leg good mornings, a lot of single leg RDLs. Um, And they were, again, slow, controlled, lightweight. I started doing a lot of isometric core work to begin with. So I did planks. I did hanging sits, I did um, parallel L sets. I did holds on the GHD, like just as, uh, um, facing up to the sky, kind of, um, upside down plank. I don't know what yeah. you call it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just did some isometric work, which eventually over time progressed to dynamic stuff. So the kipping started to become more dynamic. The lifting started to get heavier and the core work became more and more challenging as did the unilateral work. And that slowly progressed over time to me being able to build back to the weights that I wanted to originally lift but being in a better position and being way stronger um, and, and stronger in ways that, again, I couldn't get to when I was only doing the, um, the compound movements. Um, and it's not to say that compound movements aren't going to make you strong, but I just had some imbalances. I had stuff where I was moving in a poor position and the compound movements were exacerbating those issues that I have with my spine, obviously. Um, and then you combine that with sitting on a plane for a lot. It's like my hip flexors were just pulling my pelvis into an even worse position. So that was the, the journey for me with my rehabilitation with my back. And eventually I got to a point where now it will play up every now and again, usually it's hormonal. Usually it's associated with where I am in my period. Um, and it will just get a little bit tender, a little bit tight. I know that usually I've been sitting down for too long. So like this desk I'm at right now, I'm sitting, but this is a stand-up desk. I, that is one of the biggest changes I made. I stopped sitting down. Like I literally for about a year, never sat at 90 degrees. <laughs> I wouldn't sit down to watch TV. I wouldn't sit down to work. I wouldn't sit down. Like I just refused to sit. <laughs> the only time you'd catch me sitting was if I was in like a social setting. And I was like, ah, I can't just stand at this dinner table. Like I'll, I'll, I'll fine. I'll sit. So I just stopped sitting. <laughs> and um, that's what I did when I did oh, my it's, back. It's amazing. I stopped sitting. I yeah. would lay down and I would stand all of the time. Yeah, I'd always lie down to watch TV. Like I'd always be watching. I'm sure I did bad things for my neck or something, but I'd never sit down to watch TV. <laughs> but yeah, that was a big change. And uh, what happened as well, and, and this is kind of back to your question of like, you know, the mindset around injury is 
I realized that one, our bodies are not designed to be in 100% ready state all the time. It's okay to be a little bit beat up and broken. And two, most injuries you can train around. And one of the things that I really enjoyed through this process of fucking my back up multiple times and then, okay, I'm going to strengthen and I'm going to find new positions and I'm going to fix the underlying cause of this problem that keeps happening by not sitting and by moving properly. I also started doing some more gymnastics. So I started doing strict gymnastics. I started doing a ton of handstands and I learned to do a straddle press to handstand cool. um, or not the straddle part, just the press. So that was yeah. like this, like, you know, it was, it was essentially a year that I was building up to get back to hundred percent. It took 12 months. But in that time, I just, you can spend hours doing gymnastics and calisthenics. And so whenever anybody comes to me with like, oh, like I fucked up my knee or my calf, I'm like, cool, you're about to get real good at gymnastics. Or if, yeah, or if somebody comes to me and they're like, I can't train my, I have tendonitis in my elbows, I have bursitis in my shoulder, whatever it is, I've, I've like broken my neck. I'm like, cool you're about to get really strong at squatting or like pushing a sled. There are so many things that we can do. And one of the cool things about this is when you learn to work around things rather than just rest, which unfortunately is the message that we get a lot from our physios, from our medical practitioners, GPs and all that stuff. When you learn to work around the injury, one, you can often accelerate that recovery process. And two, you figure out a way to adapt that will over your life benefit you massively because you think of all the times that right now my neck's out from sleeping, training's a little bit annoying. There's certain things I'm not going to do. Um, when my back plays up my period, that's potentially going to happen every single month until I hit menopause. So it's like, I need to make adjustments when I'm older and I've got a sore knee, I've got a hip that's an, an, being a pain in the ass, whatever it is, I will need to adapt. So if you can learn to do it now, if you can learn to just not be worried when something comes up and train around it, regardless of how much of a burden you think you're going to be on a coach, regardless of how much of an idiot you think you're going to look like in the corner of the gym because you're not doing what the rest of the class is doing, if you can just work through that stuff and get used to it and make it just part of what has to happen with training, then over the long term, again, when you are 50, when you are 60, when you are 70, training and being okay with that is going to allow you to continue to do the thing that is going to keep you healthy and strong for the long term. Um, I know so many older people that feel like they are a burden that just don't come into the gym because of it, or people who are injured that not, I don't want to say undo all the hard work that they do in, in, you know, training, but lose the gains in a way that's not necessary because they just don't want to go into the gym and train. Cause it's like, Oh, I don't want to annoy the coach. I don't want to be that guy. There's nothing I can do. Like, it's like, no, there are things that you can do. I think sometimes we're actually spoiled because CrossFit has so much variance and so many different things. And it's like, Hey, if you just remember what you did before CrossFit, it was the same fucking three exercises every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a couple of different ones on Friday, like on Saturday, it's like you were doing the same thing over and over again prior to CrossFit. You've just been spoiled. So we think that like, oh, well, I can't do handstand pushups and I can't do like gliding muscle ups. So my CrossFit experience is ruined. It's like, no, man, just go back to the basics. It's okay to do that. Um, and, and yeah, maybe you're a little bit limited, but you can't, it's not a case of you cannot do anything. It's just you mentally trying to get past that and be okay with like, okay, well, I need to adapt. So yeah, the injury thing, learning to adapt, knowing that working around stuff is part of training and part of being a human that will benefit you in the long term. 
And then also knowing that you can find other goals. When you are injured, you can temporarily change your goals. In fact, you need to temporarily change your goals. You need to not worry about performance. You need to not worry about, like like I said, the gains. Like just let that stuff go. You can get back to that later. In the meantime, your number one goal is to become injury-free. Your number two goal is to find something you can do that you enjoy. And so that's something that I posted about yesterday. It's like, man, find a way to enjoy training, find a way to have fun with it. And if it means that you have to cherry pick workouts, you know, for a long time, I was like, ah, oh, those damn cherry pickers, they're just picking stuff that they like, screw them. They're never going to get better. And it's like, you know what? I would prefer you cherry pick the hell out of your training and show up than not show up. So cherry pick, find ways to work around it and show up and just be consistent. And man, I can tell you that when you start doing that, your overall progress will improve so much just by continuing to maintain the habit, continuing to kind of, I guess, in the face of adversity, still fucking show up and find a way to work around it. Like, you know, I think in life, at least for us, it's like we don't have a lot of ways to challenge ourselves and test ourselves um, in terms of like coming up against adversity. It's like, there's not a lot of adversity in our very comfortable lives where we have like, you know, iPhones and we have houses and roofs over our heads and, and the wars happen in other countries. It's like, we're, we're pretty set here. So finding challenge is kind of hard and physical training and pushing yourself in the gym actually presents a way for you to express what your version of overcoming adversity looks like and suffering and struggling and doing something hard. Um, so having an injury is just another test. It's just another test in the same way that not feeling like going to the gym in the morning, it is just another test. And if you can identify those things as opportunities for you to be the fucking person that you want to be, man, like training becomes fun. Training becomes like this proving ground. And it's not just something, you know, you have to do. It's something that you get to overcome this mental challenge that you have with yourself, with your ego, with whatever. And, uh, it's hard, but it is so rewarding. It's like, you know, when people talk about kids, it's really hard, but it's really rewarding. <laughs> it's that. It's awesome. <laughs> I've never heard a phrase like that before, but yes, yes. it's exactly like that. Yes, it's really hard, but it's people so rewarding. About their dogs as well lately. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's all kids, dogs, training, it's all the same. <laughs> it's, it's true it's like the things that are the, that are the hardest are the best it's so funny it's like we're so afraid of hard things but it, we are built to to thrive by doing hard stuff it's always it's always the it's the it's the way it's the way if you if you go straight head on in the face of um or on, on the path of the things that the that are the hardest you will get the best results and you'll feel the best about what you're doing because, you know, picking the easy option while it can feel easier, obviously, it, it doesn't produce the type of person. It doesn't produce the long-term results. It doesn't give you the long-term gratitude that you want. You, you get the short-term like little reward in your brain of like, oh, I don't have to do that thing. Okay, that's good. Like, oh, I don't have to get up early when it's cold and train. Oh, okay, I don't have to go to the gym and be a burden on the coach. It's like you get that short little hit of like, oh, that's a relief. But then the long-term of that is you feel like shit. Like you don't show up to the gym. You don't have any good habits. You don't work through injuries. Whenever you're struck by a new injury, you just sit at home. Like it, 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 it begins, it, you essentially build this trajectory of like, you've got two different ways that you can go. Um, so when you start going towards the hard things, the trajectory puts that you're put on is, is a really positive one. 
Yeah. Have a sip of water. You just were on a roll there. <laughs> yeah. I get on those. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think one of the coolest and most empowering things that we can do and that what helped me the most was find someone that can help lead you through that if you need, like lead you through the, the rehab that, you know, I am so deeply grateful for having a coach that taught me how to train, like how, like the processes, the methods, the qualities, the standards, like how to rehab myself back from, I was telling my warriors the other day, if something comes up in my training, something happens to my body, I know how to rehab that. I know what to do to create the structural balance again, the projects I need to work on. I know exactly what I need to do. Do you know how like, cool that is like how empowering that is I just get so excited when I even talk about it because I just think what an epic thing to know like yeah really know your body and then know how to move through any pain discomfort injury it's it's amazing yeah it's knowledge is required right and it's like you can get there through experience and it's the long way or you can get there by enlisting people who already fucking know and that's a coach that's a friend that's someone who's a really good sounding board it's a mentor who's some it's someone who's just been through that um and getting getting that information it's like your shortcut to the thing that you need to to get that you can either figure out by you know walking through that maze and hitting a million dead ends before you get to the other side, or you go and grab someone who's been through the maze and they're like, come with me. This is the way. And they, they're your GPS system. Right. So it's like, man, a coach is the thing that will accelerate that process for you, regardless of whether it's an injury, it's your period, it's training in general, it's your self-esteem and body image stuff. It's health, it's fitness, it's relationships, it's work, whatever the goal is having someone there is one, you know, going to give you information that's invaluable to I think the accountability and support is like a really big part of it and for me getting a coach has often been for that purpose before the information so it's like I know that I'm better when I have someone there with me so it's like if that's a friend who I train with or if that's a a business mentor it's like I know that I'm better when there's someone else another set of eyes just on me (laughs) and then what happens as well is you you get all this information and you learn and that's the cool part yeah and um I would love for you to share what you do now, your work. You being I'm doing a, coach. a million different things. Yeah, I would just share just them the world mess. <laughs> it's thank God I've got John, who's our business mentor. I'm just like, hey, John, here's what I'm doing. Can you help? And he's like, ah. He's like, okay, let's just go back to the beginning. So I, um, I'm doing online programming. And I write programming for CrossFit affiliates and also just, you know, typical gyms um, that are usually functional fitness to some degree. And then I write programming for individuals and it's group programming. And a lot of people come to me going like, well, I want individualized programming. And the way that I, uh, the way that I frame it is that I program to best prepare you for life. And the challenges that we are faced with from life are pretty much the same for all of us. So yes, I can bias your training to help you overcome major weaknesses that you have, but individualized training in the way that we do it when it's for CrossFit or functional fitness doesn't really even exist because we don't train the individual, we train for life. And if life 
if we know it's going to present us with certain challenges, then that's my list of things that I need to be prepared for. And I know that I need to be strong in these ways. And I know that I need to be fit in these ways. And I know that I want to be more flexible in these ways and more coordinated or whatever those things are. So I program for the challenges that I know life is going to give you. And that's how I write my individual programming. And then I also make sure that people aren't fucking just overloaded with volume and doing stupid things. It's like, I kind of have like a bit of a get in, get out method with training. Yeah. Some people want to do more. That's cool. I only train up to 90 minutes a day once a session for people that want to do more. So even if you want to do more, it's not two sessions. It's not three hours in the gym. It's 90 minutes max. Some days are 60 minutes still. And that's including things like warm-ups and cool downs. So that's the programming stuff that I do. One part of the programming is that you also get coaching. And I think that that is, I think that's something that you do as well, where you, anyone can get good programming. Like I, anyone who talks about programming, like it's this incredible science that's incredibly complex and it's super specific and it's, it's really technical. I'm like, man, I kind of call bullshit. I, I think what's more important is that you know how to coach someone to move well. And whatever the movements that they're doing, like for, you know, for, for the kind of programming that I'm doing with CrossFit or functional fitness, it's like, you're probably doing some compound lifting. You're probably doing some running and some gymnastics. And then there's probably some other movements that we're all kind of doing. So the programming isn't really that different from, from different program to different program, but you could be doing one program with no feedback and you could be doing my program or your program with feedback and the experience would be quite different. And the progress that you make will be very, very different. And your ability to improve your movement, which will ultimately improve your ceiling of your capacity much quicker is really important. So I offer coaching with my programming and I have myself as well as two other CrossFit Level 3 trainers in a Facebook group. And we just give feedback to your videos which is really cool so people can post you know whatever they're doing for that day and they just get feedback on it and then the other side of what I do is I do nutrition coaching um so I have people that come to me that want nutrition coaching and I have four coaches where you come to me and I set you up with one of those coaches and it's kind of essentially at the moment pretty much like client-led coaching where we have certain systems and things that we do with people, um, but it depends on where you're at. So we very much meet people where they're at with regards to nutrition. We have some people that don't CrossFit, that have never done a diet in their life and just want to get healthy and maybe start a little bit of lifting. And so that person will go through the very, very basics. And then we've got people that are like, I want to make a Torium Pro semifinals CrossFit next year. So then we've got like the people that are really focused on that performance element. And then majority of people are somewhere in the middle. So a lot of people are like, I've been crossfitting for a year. I just want to like fine tune my food. Can you help? And so we go through this process of some people will track, some people won't track. Um, we use flexible dieting. It's a tool to understand food better um, and understand eating calories and what that looks like and what food looks like in terms of numbers. For some people, we just do intuitive eating. And I find a bit of a mixture of both. Ultimately for everyone is always a really nice, nice formula. Um, and then we talk about everything from what you're eating for breakfast to what your period was like this month. And if, if it's a guy, it's like, Hey, like what's your sex drive like, and what's your energy like? And then we'll talk about how the relationship is impacting your ability to do the things that you want in terms of training or food. So we'll start talking about relationships and then we'll talk about what your sleep is like. And then we'll talk about what it's, how you're dealing with your kids at night. And it becomes this thing where you have a relationship with your coach and you can literally talk about anything, which is really cool. It's, it's this one-on-one relationship that um, just evolves the longer that you're with, with that coach, which at, at, it always tends to, you know, whatever coach you have for whatever thing, it's like you sign up to talk about food and by like week 12, you're talking about like everything but food. 
So it's this really cool progression that I see happen all the time. Um, so yeah, you can kind of get everything. It's the business is evolving um, and changing and I'm learning and I'm doing a whole lot of new stuff, which is really cool. So there's lots of things that are in the works at the moment. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see, uh, you know, you're just, when I, I watch what you do and you navigate life, you're just so inspiring and motivating, like with, through your training, through your businesses, like you're just, you're a friggin' warrior. You're so oh, badass. You. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so cool. Um, and then where, where can people find you? Well, I'm on Instagram. I'm CF Kate. Um, that's the, that's like home base. So if you go there, you can get to my website. I've got Linktree with all the links to all the things that I do. Like, uh, I've got, I've got, I've got too many Instagram pages, to be honest. That's one of my, that's one of my problems. I've got a bunch of other Instagram pages. I have a podcast where I talk purely about relationships and non-monogamy. Um, I have, yeah, I have an email list. So you can kind of just go straight to CFK and you'll get access to everything. And, and if you start seeing my stories over, over time, you, you start figuring out all the weird shit that I'm into and some of it you'll like, and some of you'll be like, what the heck? <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's funny. I, one of the things I really enjoy doing is every now and again, I'll ask people in my stories, like, so what is it that you've learned from me? Like, what's something that you do because of me? And it's like, people are like, oh, I, I tape my mouth at night now. And then someone's like, I use toe spreaders. <laughs> someone's like, I started tracking my period. It's like the most random stuff. Other people are like, oh, I talked to my partner about opening up our monogamous relationship after 10 years in a marriage. And I'm just like, this is fucking awesome. Holy shit. <laughs> so I have this phrase now where everybody uh, will hashtag came for the CrossFit, stayed for the sex, sex because yeah. at some point the conversation always goes to sex on my Instagram. I hope, <laughs> yeah, I hope you were going to share that today. Yeah. Uh, if not, I was going to say it at the so, end. Yeah. Like go and find Kate. You'll probably come for the training and the CrossFit because that's what we've spoken about the whole time. But I can guarantee you, you're going to yeah. stay for the sex. You're going to learn you're going to learn some stuff. I uh, was talking to someone yesterday. I'm um, talking to a shop tank Australia who are the distributors for talk tanks, um, which are f- such cool machines. Oh man, I want to get my hands on one. That's so bad. So um, <laughs> I was talking. I'm like trying to impress them with all my like social media stats. And I'm like, here's what I can do. And like, this is the way that it's worked with other, you know, ambassadorships or affiliations I've had with other companies in the past. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, I was on your Instagram page and I was, uh, I was looking at your link tree and yeah, he's like, yeah, it looks so good. And he, and he's totally like, says nothing like super cool, super collected. And I was like, oh, I should go and look at my link tree. I haven't looked at it in a while. First thing on my link tree is my podcast and it drops down to give you a sample of the most recent episode. The most recent episode on my podcast is titled we went to a sex club. <laughs> so this guy that I'm like, must impress, must really want him to work with me is like going through my Instagram and no doubt has now seen, <laughs> seen all the podcast episodes that I've done about sex and relationships. So we'll see. We'll see if that, if you guys see me talking about a uh, talk tank, know that things went well. If you don't know that things did not go well. <laughs> Yeah. He really so liked the episode yeah. on this sex club. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if people want to work with me, I'm like, look, <laughs> this is it. This is what you're working with. If you're not on board, that's cool. I'm fine with that. But if you want to work with me, this is just part of it. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's so cool though it's cool that you bring so much of like your story and your experiences through, you know, and a lot of people, they filter it out or they choose not to show it. And that's totally okay. You know, I think we can have boundaries and hold a container for what we bring and present into our world or our business or our platforms. But one of the coolest things, and I think the people are just so drawn to it is because some of the things you hold in your container, people don't hold in their containers. So they're just like, it's all encompassing. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's funny because I've always struggled with like, what's the niche? What is my niche? And how do I find that? And how do I establish that? Because one of them, one of the niches is purely CrossFit programming. One of the niches is nutrition and like being very, um, I guess, pushing back to a degree on like diet culture. And then, and then the other niches, like, well, I, sex and relationships is now part of that container. And, and then I have another thing where I talk about like the, the feet thing and the sleep thing and stress and, and, and like all this other random stuff. And I'm like, what is the niche? What do I do? How do I compartmentalize my social media into this clear channel? And I think what I've discovered is that my niche is not having a niche. And I, I guess my niche is that it's just me. And it's the, the stories that I tell about myself. And like I said before, it's like, I work through a lot of my own shit by, by talking about it and, and processing it out loud. And, and on social media. So it's like, okay, I guess the niche is that if you're interested in following me, then y- you will either be filtered out because of the things, the broad topics that I cover, or you will be buying in more. And that becomes the niche. The niche is that it's not just CrossFit, it's CrossFit and sex. And it's not just sex, it's sex and sleep. And it's not just sleep, it's food and diet. It's like, you know, it's, it's all those things. So that has now become the niche. <laughs> it's being a human. <laughs> yeah, it's that's it. It's like, hey, <laughs> this is being human. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's good. I like that. It, it it truly is though. It is it's being a human and I mm. think I think sometimes we forget that. We forget these parts that you bring through that I I I just think it's so cool to see. You know, we become we spoke about about it at the start, maybe label, you know, we label ourselves or we give ourselves titles or we give ourselves roles or, you know, we container ourselves in really tight or we can only Mm. focus on one at a time. And we forget that, Hey, I'm actually a human and I have one life. So how can I just be a full human? And that requires me to like, train and look after my body and eat well and be in relationship and have Mm. sex and like, you know, all of these things. And so when I see your work and I see you and I, I just see truly human, truly human. So thank you for being truly human. That's so nice. (laughs) We should talk more. (laughs) (laughs) Kate and I are in creator club together, uh, but we've uh, have never actually had like a, we've done breakout group work before, but we've never had a conversation, but yeah, we would get along really well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Let's end it there. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. End it on the note of you just like complimenting me. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Just, it's awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your knowledge. Uh, Mostly just thank you for being you and the work that you do and the way that you show up. It's, um, it's a true privilege to watch you. So thank you. Thank you. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, 
please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.